Hey, fellow truth seekers. On behalf of Dawn and I, we want to welcome you to Protect Your Peace podcast, where we will be bringing truth to light because we know that the truth sets us free. Together, we will explore current events unfolding around us, dive deeper into the underlying spiritual realities, and equip you, our listeners, with spiritual weapons to protect your peace. We are going to fight the good fight together. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome to episode two of Protect Your Peace. We are so excited that you guys are joining us. And so tonight, our topic is the truth about the truth. And guys, we are really hoping that after you listen to this tonight, you are going to have much more divine discernment and just, you know, amazing wisdom to really help you know what is the truth. And, you know, one of my pieces of advice with that is spending more time with Jesus. And I think back to years ago when I was crazy busy, lots of distractions in the world, lots of being sucked into social media and just things that really aren't truly important, right? And I ended up getting sick. And it was through that sickness of being still, of diving deeper into my Bible, spending more time with God, that the truth was revealed about why I was so sick. And it turned out I had breast implant illness, really poor decision, but I thank God every day for that stillness and that discernment and the truth that was shown to me. And again, you know, it was through just making God a priority. And so, um, you know, as we Get ready to dive into this podcast. Um, I want to make sure, um, as always, we're going to bring on Rebecca, who is going to open us up with a beautiful prayer. And so, Rebecca, I would love to bring you on to do that next. Wonderful, Don. Thank you so much. Um, I want to open with a prayer that I opened with last time to the Holy Spirit. It says in John chapter 16, verse 13, that uh, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, He will teach you all the truth. And so I want to call on the Holy Spirit to be our guide and our teacher of truth. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. O Holy Spirit, beloved of our souls, we adore thee. Enlighten us, guide us, strengthen us, console us. Give us your orders and tell us what we should do. We promise to submit ourselves to all that you desire. We promise to submit ourselves to all that you desire of us and to accept all that you permit to happen to us. Let us only know your adorable will. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, Well, Don and James, I am so excited about this topic, the truth about the truth. And why did we choose this to be our second topic for the podcast? Well, because truth is a foundation. You know, the reality is, is there's a spiritual battle going on out there, right? There's good versus evil. There's God versus Satan. There's, there are angels are real. Demons are real. And we know that the, in in first Peter, it says, uh, the devil prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. And, and we started this podcast because we see so, we know so many people and it's understandable, the things that are going on in society and in culture nowadays, it's breeding things like fear, anxiety, you know, really there's a lack of clarity and a lack of truth that's bringing about all kinds of unfortunate, unfortunate circumstances, higher suicide rates, all of those things. And so protect your peace. 
this podcast is a means to bring the truth because we know that Jesus said in scripture, the truth will set you free. And by all of us becoming truth seekers, proactively asking the question on a regular basis. And I mean, daily, you know, is this true? What is the truth? We know that in scripture, it says Satan is the father of lies. And actually I should refer to that scripture. We know, you know, like, so if we're not proactively seeking the truth and really asking that question, what is the truth? Then how easy will it be for the, the great deceiver to sweep us away, to deceive us in, into either believing things or thinking things that aren't true and therefore becoming full of fear, becoming full of anxiety. But Jesus is, he's the way, the truth and the life. And so the more we can know him, the more we can know his scriptures, the more we can be guided by divine revelation, the more we can be at peace. He, if he is the truth, then the more we know him, the more we will protect our peace. And so really to get this thing started, I, th- I what I'd like to do is start by reading a scripture verse from John chapter 17. So I, I love the whole Bible, of course, but I love John chapter 17. And it's such a special chapter because the context of John chapter 17 is Jesus speaking to the father about us. So if we've ever wondered, you know, like what Jesus would say to the father about us, John chapter 17 is such a beautiful revelation of his heart and his love for us and the value and importance of truth in the divine perspective. And so I'm actually, I encourage everybody to read the entire chapter of John 17 and just receive it from our Lord. Uh, Let it, you know, marinate in it, if you will. But I'm just going to read a chunk. I'm going to read John chapter 17, verse 9 through 19. So here it goes. And once again, this is Jesus speaking to the Father. I pray about us, right? Uh, I pray for them. Not for the world do I pray but for those whom you have given me because they are mine and all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them and I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep in your name those whom you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. Those whom you have given me, I guarded, and not one of them perished except the son of perdition in order that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world in order that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. 
Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Even as you have sent me into the world, so I also have sent them into the world. And for them, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. And it's so powerful to hear the love of Christ for us and also him accentuate the importance of truth. And because he wants to protect us from evil, there's so much he says just in this one small portion of John chapter 17, a couple things that really stand out to me first. And by the way, I'm just, this is a pocket Bible that I, you know, always have with me. It's, you know, quite worn, but um, it's also full of like underlines and circles and all of that, which I highly encourage people to have the scriptures on them because it's very nice to be able to pull them out instead of pulling out your phone sometimes and, and diving into the scriptures. But um, so a few of the things that I, I circled when I was, when I was reading this was Holy Father, keep them in thy, in thy name that they may be one. You know, the fact that our Lord says that we may be one, he, he is the source of unity. He desires unity, which means he doesn't desire division. He doesn't desire a bunch of different churches, a bunch of different camps, if you will. Uh, of course, his references to the truth at the end. But lastly, that he says uh, that they may have my joy made full in themselves Fear is never from God. Anxiety, you know, these things are very real, but they're also things that we can protect our peace by being aware and by seeking the truth. And so that's why this topic of truth today is so important for us to bring to light and discuss so that we can all, as truth seekers, unite to find the truth. Relativism is so pervasive today in our society. What's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. But the truth is, is that there can only be one truth. If one thing is true, then the opposite is false. And all of this lack of clarity that we have nowadays in society, in, in, in unclarity and in, in ways to live and actions that we should, you know, should do or shouldn't do at so many levels, if we were all united in the truth, it would be so powerful and there would be so much peace. And so that's why we've invited our good dear, dear friend James to join us today because he's a fellow truth seeker as well. And uh, he has a, an amazing story of a reversion story, if you will, of becoming a strong truth seeker. And so I want you guys to hear that. Uh, James and I worked together at one point back in our days and then just grew in friendship. I just love him and his wife, Mariah, so much because we really forged our friendship through our journeys and faith and uh, bouncing things off one another. And, and so you guys are going to love to hear his story and then just some of his, his um, insights and input on the truth. And so with that, James, I'd love to have you come on here and just share a little bit about yourself and your journey with everybody. Keep my, my story really brief. Um, you know, I grew up, I grew up going to church, uh, every Sunday, uh, and I was at just on Sundays, uh, you know, in the Catholic church, fell away from the church, um, really, uh, I, I was poorly catechized, you know, I, I knew, you know, I knew 
what I think some people would call the basics, you know, the, a lot of parables, you know, stories about Jesus. Even though I went to, you know, went to Catholic school, um, <clears throat> grade school, you just, you know, is probably poorly, being poorly catechized, but also like I'm a boy and I'm active and my attention span is like really short. So <laughs> when you're that age, it's uh, probably a lot of that is on me not paying attention and wanting to absorb a lot of it. Um, but, uh, you know, I fell away from the church, uh, the whole church. I mean, I wasn't going anywhere for a long while. I um, definitely fell away from the Catholic church. Um, then in, um, that, I fell away really at some point in college, uh, took a year after college, uh, after graduating college, took a year off, went to law school. And then, um, in law school, at some point in law school, I started going to a, a non-denominational church. And it was like something I'd never experienced, you know, you know, singing, you know, like you, you'd walk out of there, you know, you hear, you hear people see, you know, say, oh, you're still on fire for the Lord, you know, and I would have that feeling, I had that emotional feeling, because, you know, I'm just celebrating God, and, you know, just, you know, worshiping Him, and, um, but for me, this was like, this was, I think, the big like the biggest turning point for me, something something felt missing. And Rebecca and I talked about this. There, for faith, I believe there, there's a there's a head and a heart part, right? You know, for women, I think from my experience, women, I know for I can speak for my wife, for Mariah, the heart part comes first, then the head follows. For me, the head part comes first, the logic part, the part that ha it has to make sense logically. Then the heart follows me. I think this majority, most guys are, are like that. It's, it's most guys, it's the, it's the logic part. It's got to make sense. Now, there are some women, I think, Dawn, you and I talked about this. You know, you're more of the, you know, used to get in trouble in school. You said, same as me, like, because I question everything. Like, why? Like, teachers say, do this. Well, why? Like, this is so much easier. Why would I do that when this makes way more sense? It doesn't make any sense to me. And it's like, it's really like jazzing up everything in my head because now I'm doing something that makes no sense at all to me. This doesn't, you know, this is dumb. So like, I don't want to do it. And then I get in trouble and I'd be an on-campus suspension sometimes. <laughs> but um, uh, so for me, the, the, I just, in the back of my head, just something kept nagging me. I was like, man, like, I, I didn't want to leave that church. Uh, you know, I like the way I felt, the way I felt, you know, and, but it was just something was missing. And you know, I, I got to a, a, a point in my life, and, you know, I shared, you know, another, you know, story with y'all I, I won't share on here uh maybe another time in the future but um the the thing that just kept coming back to me was um there, there was the thing that was missing where it just didn't make sense because the church that i was attending at the time uh you know they believed certain things you know and and they're getting the beliefs right out of the uh, right out of the bible they could have a bible verse that supported it and then the church down the street that some of my other friends were going to, well, that one taught most of the same stuff, but some of it was different. And they had a different interpretation of what the exact same verse meant. And that just to me, that, that was that was the missing thing, that, that the logic part of it. And because you know, Rebecca touched on the relativism, truth is the truth. There's only one truth. You know, Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the truth. He is the truth. He's not the partial truth, and he's not two truths. There can only be one truth. There's only one. 
And, you know, Pope Benedict, you know, mentioned this when, back when he was Pope, the relativism is the most dangerous thing to the church today. It's because people want to make their own truth. They want, they want to make God in their image instead of being in the image of God. And they, they want to, to distort the, they want to distort God to be some other kind of image of, of them in the really a false idol. They, they want to say, hey, this is the God I want to worship. This is, and you may have heard people say, well, the God that I know, the Jesus that I know, like, he's not, you don't know some Jesus that I don't know. Like, this, this, we're not talking about different people. This is the same person here. You know, so, you know, we, we know the same person. So, um, for me, I got, I ran to this struggle of, okay, well, if, if two people, if two people disagree with the same Bible verse, with the, with the same, and not even so much the Bible verse, but the same take on what, you know, what we believe as Christians, how is that settled? Because you have, you have just in the Protestant church, you know, the non-Catholic Christians or Protestants, that, I mean, that, that's pretty much it. So, you know, in the Protestant church, you have some that believe that, uh, you know, you solely, you know, sola fide, solely faith, like all you have to do is believe, whatever believe means, you know, it's, you know, some people think it's a mental uh, assent, an intellectual assent that Jesus is our savior, you know, and that's all they have to do is, oh, Jesus is my savior, I'm going, I'm going to heaven, that's what some believe. Well, some, some Protestant church, in, in the Protestant church, in, in, you know, whatever church they're going to, some non-denominational church, or official, like Methodist, Anglican, you know, uh, Lutherans, whatever, whatever that may be, they may think differently. They may think, no, you need more than just your faith. Some believe in infant baptism. Some believe, don't believe in infant baptism. Some believe that baptism really doesn't do anything, you know, and it's just a symbolic thing. Some believe that it does what you need for salvation. You know, so some believe in the rapture. Some don't. Some believe in multiple raptures. Some believe in pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. You know, some believe it's like so many different things. Like they can't all be true. All of these cannot be true. They're in conflict with each other. And you know, you you touched on this, Rebecca. You know, who who is who is the author of confusion? Who is going to be the author of conflict? Who wants division? You know, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's not it's not Jesus. He doesn't want. He he wants unity. He wants us together. He wants us in the truth. So. When you have two people disagreeing, you know, one, oh, like, these are the options. But if they're disagreeing on, on the interpretation of scripture, either one of them is wrong and one of them is right, or they're both wrong. But they can't both be right. And, and that's, to me, that, that's what it came down to. And it came down to, you know, authority. So who in, what, at that time, I was going to a non-denominational church. It's a Protestant church. It, you know, it's people want to say, oh, no, we're not Protestant, we're non-denominational. I actually had a friend say that. I'm like, oh, you're, that's that's a Protestant church. I was going to a Protestant church, you know, and, you know, they, they taught certain things that were different than the Protestant church over here. And, you know, it's just a fracturing of of the truth. Like, the this the more and more fracturing, I think I read the other day, once Martin Luther uh, started the, what the Protestant Reformation, I the Protestant schism because there, there was no reforming he wanted to reform the church but instead of reforming he broke away which is called schism so you know it was once he started that i think in i think in the first one it was or first 10 years 10 or 15 years 
after he did that, there were 200 different churches all teaching different things. 200. Yeah, and then, and then, by, like, after I forget however many years, it was like 2,000 different churches teaching different things. They can't all be the truth, right? So, and, and here's the thing. They're all claiming that they're all guided by the Holy Spirit. Well, they can't be. That's impossible. Because the Holy Spirit isn't going to speak error. The Holy Spirit isn't going to teach error. It's not going to lead people into error. It's not going to tell you, Don, one thing, Rebecca, another, and me, something else, all, all conflicting with each other. And like I just mentioned, there's so many different Protestant churches that they teach so many different things. So how do we decide who, who's right? Is there one church in, in the Protestant church? Is there one that can make a decree on issues of faith and morals, on, on doctrine and dogma? Is there one that can say, hey, this is the truth. This is what we say is the truth. The Holy Spirit, like this is it, that would be binding on every other Protestant church. There's not. There isn't one. The Lutheran church could say something, but the Methodist church is going to keep on doing what the Methodist church is doing. They, we don't have to listen to them, you know, and vice versa. And same with non-denominational churches. So the, if you really think about the lot, again, like I'm a logic guy. For me, everything has to make sense. Being, being an attorney, you know, it's, that's just how I am. Like one of the parts of the, uh, the LSAT, the test you take before you go to law school is it's logic games or logic reasoning. And I almost scored perfect on that because for me, everything has to make logical sense. Like I just had to boil things down to the bare bones. And so at this point in time in my life, joining a non-denominational church, I was actually anti-Catholic. I was very anti-Catholic. I was rabid anti-Catholic, I would say. I would, I would call my mom and I was just, she was leading a Bible study at her church, her Catholic church. And I was just peppering her with questions. Like, what it, well, what about this? What about calling her man father? Like, we call priest fathers. Like, like, what about that? What about this? And I was like, I was parroting all of these objections to the Catholic faith that I was hearing from all of you know, these other people. I was learning from these other churches. And so I was very anti-Catholic. But I got to a point where I said, okay, here's the deal. I, I say, God, I want the truth. I, whatever that truth is, that's what I want whatever it is, and I, I just mentally, I just wiped the slate clean, I cleaned everything off the, the table, figurative table, I just said, everything off, I said, I have to be open to being wrong, cognitive dissonance is a really, really strong thing, we see it in politics, we see it in the news, we see it like, but if you don't know what cognitive dissonance is, it's, it really comes into play when you learn something your whole life, you've been taught something your whole life, something that you believe to be true your whole life, and then you find out something that says the opposite. Well, that's when cognitive dissonance kicks in. It says, whoa, 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 no, that cannot be true. You are lying. And you're only lying. I'm only saying you're lying because I've, I've only known the opposite to be true. So for me, and, it, and, it, and it's so strong. It's so strong. Like some people, like, some people think, that Democrats are the best thing in the world. Some people that think Republicans are the best thing in the world. But so that anything negative about a Republican or Repu someone who considers themselves a Republican would say, that's not true. And vice versa, because they didn't want to hear anything negative about what they, what they believe in these deep rooted beliefs. So for me, I had to say, 
I have to be open to being wrong. If there's any, any place in your life that you have to get to this point, it's a matter of faith because your faith should determine how the rest, the, the way you live the rest of your life. So that's the root of it. So I said, I got, I got to get this right. This I have to get right, which means I have to be open to being wrong. And so that's what I did. And again, I was anti-Catholic at the time. So I would hear these things that people were saying about the Catholic Church, that negative things. And I said, okay, I got to go see what the Catholic side says. I got to at least be open to seeing what the Catholic Church says about this objection. And I'd read it and I was like, man, it actually makes more sense than the objection that I'm hearing. It makes way more sense. And I was doing that with issue, with issue, with it, this issue, and that issue. And I was just like, oh my goodness, like, <clears throat> okay, so this makes a lot more sense. So then I started really thinking about what I was talking about earlier. And I said, so a lot of people think, all right, well, I'm got, you know, we're all guided by the Holy Spirit. All we need is scripture. This, you know, all, and scripture and the Holy Spirit, scripture and the Holy Spirit. You hear it all the time. And I was thinking, well, again, the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit showed me something, I'm telling my buddy something separate. And then I really started thinking about the whole premise of it is people believe that people who believe in all the need scripture and the Holy Spirit, they believe that God gave us his word, his inerrant word, infallible word, which is scripture. But God never gave us an authority to help us to, to determine the, the interpretation of it. It doesn't make any sense. He would give us this inerrant word, the perfect word, free of error hand it to us and say, figure it out on your own. And hey, like knowing that people are going to disagree. Well, so then I started thinking like, well, what did the early church do? What, like when this, when they started having these disagreements? Well, you, you look back at, you know, the, some of the first councils like in, in Jerusalem, what happened? Like what, one of the first biggest things that people, um, that we see in scripture, they're talking about circumcision. Do you need circumcision to be circumcised? to be saved for salvation. They came together, they're arguing back and forth, arguing about it. What happened? Peter said, no, you don't. That was it. That was the end of it. There was no more discussion. Nobody said, well, what about this? No, he made that determination right there. He spoke up and everybody said, that's it. That's it. No more circumcision for salvation. That's it. No, it was settled. And that's how they settled. They brought it to the church. What are we told in scripture? Bring it to the church. You have disagreements among, among your brothers. Bring, you know, bring it to them first. They don't listen. Bring, you know, bring it to someone else. And then if they still don't listen, bring it to the church. Bring it in front of the church. You know, you've got to have that authority. You have to have that authority. And today, like, people think you're losing freedom by having an authority. They, they buck that authority. They don't want authority. They're so anti-authority because they, they want me, I like, Again, relative to me, I want to be able to do this. my truth. I want to be able to determine what's true. I, I want that. And, and that's it's shoved down our throats today. You know, so it's deeply ingrained in us that anything other than what we get to decide as the truth is in opposition to us. And we, we can't have that way. We, can, we can't have it like that. So, you know, so people, people want to believe that they'll tell you, yeah, Jesus, you know, Jesus founded a church. Clearly, it's there in, in, in scripture, you know. Jesus, who is, who is, uh, and you ask him, well, you know, does your church, is your church infallible? Is your pastor infallible? No, no man's infallible. Okay, well, so then what you're saying is, and they don't want to admit this, but if he's infallible, then that, it, you know, or if he's fallible, 
that means that he could be teaching error, that he's not right all the time. They'd have to agree with that if they say he's fallible, if they say he's not infallible. You know, so, okay, so then you want Jesus, who is the truth, who came to bear witness to the truth, who said the truth will set you free. You believe he founded a church that would teach error some of the time, or maybe all of the time? It doesn't make any sense. So for me, the logical person, I was like, that makes no sense for me. It's like my brain was just going, <laughs> because it had to make sense, right? You know, so you just break it down to simple logic and say, well, you can't, we can't just do that. We can't say, hey, uh, I get to read scripture on my own and, and, and feel like I'm being guided by the Holy Spirit and knowing that my neighbor over here, whether one of you were going to read it and come up with something different, it may be similar, but it's different. So it's not the truth. The truth isn't two things that are similar. You know, the, the truth is the truth. Like you can't have two similar things both be true. Mm -hmm. They may be similar, but only one can be the truth or neither could be the truth, mm -hmm. but they can't both be the truth. And so for me, like you have to have that authority. You have to have that, that a way to determine what is the truth. So that's that's really what kind of like you know brought you know really solidly brought me back as we said we really need that you know the, the papacy the magisterium and there's so many misconceptions which I think we're going to get into the next question misconceptions about well, the church in general uh, Catholic Church you know and religion. Mm. No, I appreciate that, James. And so I'm the one that and a lot of our listeners who. We're on the last episode know that I'm kind of like the baby person in my faith here. I didn't find Jesus until I was 40. And so like you guys are so much more wise than I am with this stuff, but like I'm listening to you and so many great points, by the way. And I think the thing that I just, I admire about you so much is just like you said, you're willing to be wrong. You're willing to be wrong and seeking the truth, but you said a word that there might be other people on here that might be like, what the heck does he mean when he says the word fallible? Yeah, word? Okay, because so, I don't know what fallible. Hey, yeah, James, so, can I, I want to piggyback on that because that's yeah, yeah, go a ahead. good question, Don. Yeah. And so combined with that question, maybe you can touch on you. You mentioned circumcision and Peter having the authority to say the final word on that. So maybe you could expound too on what gives, what gave Peter that authority and, and also in, in that whole realm are you saying that up until the time of luther so from the time of jesus until the time of luther which was what was it like late 1400 15th century i think so up until then if you were a christian you were a catholic there like so for 1500 years there was only one truth there was only one church so if you could expound on on those they're all kind of related i guess so it be, being infallible would mean so like the, the word of God is or the scriptures it's free of error okay but it's in, it's infallible it's perfect there's it cannot be wrong right so being fallible means you absolutely can be wrong in fact you can be wrong every single every single thing that you say ever because you're because you you're not you are not guided by, you know, the Holy Spirit, like speaking through you. Okay. So a lot of people say, oh, well, 
scripture, you know, no, no man's ever fallible. No man's ever been fallible at any point in time. Well, again, that doesn't make sense. Basic logic again. You go back and say, okay, well, you're believing that these scriptures are, 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 in, are infallible, right? They're perfect. They're free of error. But you're telling me that no man's ever been infallible. So, so then you're telling me that fallible men, meaning errant men, men that full of error, wrote infallible words, wrote these infallible words, and put together this infallible book of, of, <clears throat> of books to create one book, the Bible. So the, the, now, then, now we got to look at this. So if they're fallible, if they can definitely err, well, how do we know then if, they, if these men weren't perfect, if they were fallible, that we actually got in all the infallible books into the Bible that we were supposed to get? How do we know there weren't some left out? These men could err. We're, they're, they're saying these men were never, they could never be infallible at any point in time. So <clears throat> then that means we may be missing books that are fallible floating around out there that aren't in there. How do we know to keep books out? So there are tons of books that were written that that the church in putting together the Bible kept out. How do we know that those weren't infallible books as well? Because it was fallible men who were making the decision. So, but if you say they were guided by the Holy Spirit, then you have to say that they were infallible at least at the time they were putting the Bible together. So at some point they're infallible. You look at other things. Um, first, First Thessalonians 2.13, it says they heard the word of God from us. They heard the word of God. Well, the word of God is not going to err, right? The word of God is perfect. The word of God is infallible. If they heard the word of God from them preaching, then that means that they were truly inspired by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit came through them. You know, we look at Pentecost. They're speaking in tongues. They were infallible. When they're speaking in tongues, because they're speak, it was the Holy Spirit putting the words on their mouths. Okay, so there are, there are examples when people were infallible. Luke 10, 16. Uh, he, he who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. Okay, who, <clears throat> that's, that's Jesus saying that. So if the people who, the, the, the apostles are speaking, Jesus saying, if they hear you, they hear me. So you can't say that Jesus, you know, any Christian, no Christian can say, well, Jesus was an error. He's literally saying, whatever you say, they're hearing me. So that means what they're saying is infallible because they're hearing Jesus. And what they're rejecting is they're rejecting Jesus. So when you reject what these apostles or disciples or descendants of them are saying, you're rejecting Jesus. That's what Jesus said. So that means they were infallible. They were they were speaking the perfect word of God, which is inerrant. It's is free of error. Um, you know, Luke ten nineteen. I have given you authority. He gives them the authority to, to speak the word of God. So, um, and then Rebecca, what was the tail end of that you wanted me to mention? Uh, I oh, the, the circus, the Peter. So yeah, so yeah, the. The authority given to Peter, you know, he, you know, Jesus tells him, you know, you are Peter, you, you know, you are Cephas, you are the rock, and upon you I will build my church. Upon, you know, so he he was what the church considers the first pope, and you know, you mentioned for fifteen hundred years, pretty much all the all the Christians were Catholic. It was the Catholic Church until five hundred years ago, five hundred something years ago. Martin Luther said, 
Yeah, you know, uh, you know, he had he. I think he truly wanted reform because there were problems. Like the church is not perfect; it is made up of a bunch of fallible men, right? And the church doesn't claim that the Pope and every single thing. And you can look at this Pope. I'll say a lot of things about him, but uh, but what? Not everything the Pope says is infallible. That is not what the Church, Catholic Church, teaches. We, we, he says a lot of things where we don't have to agree with. Yeah, you know, as as Catholics, we do not have to. But the things we have to is when he speaks from the chair of Peter, meaning on issues of faith and morals, on issues of doctrine and dogma. That's where, like the circumcision thing, where we say, boom, that's it. What you have, we, that is that is part of our belief system. You know, we've had we've had some terrible popes, you know, centuries ago, way worse than what some some people don't like Pope Francis right now. But we've had way worse than that, you know, in really dark times in the church. But thankfully, they were so busy sinning and doing all these bad things and doing that they didn't have time to make uh, make anything uh, statements on doctrine or dogma. So you know, it's, you know, that, that wound up being a good thing. <laughs> so, but um. Yeah, so that's that is that. That's um, well, I that, so Peter was you know the first pope, and that's how he was given the authority to make that decision, and, well, and everybody recognized it because that that was it. When he said it, done, it was over. And so he said that you did not have to get circumcised. And what's so interesting though? So I'm a mom of two boys, and you know it's just interesting to me when I think about giving birth to both of my boys and the doctors, the hospital all were like, okay, like it was just a thing. Like you just get them circumcised. Um, That's what the medical community told me was the right thing to do. So it's just kind of interesting when I think about just the world today and how, you know, they share non-truths, you know, anyway, so that's just interesting. But um, Um, just to give the, the actual scripture quote to Um, back up what James just said. It's Matthew chapter 16, verse um, 18 and 19, where Peter says, and I say to you, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you, meaning Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you, Peter, the authority that Jesus is establishing the authority on, on earth, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound on in heaven and whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so Jesus is right there begetting the authority of the church because he knows we need that authority to help us navigate yeah. and to help us through life, which is so crazy and chaotic and can be confusing or scary or you know, all kinds of things. And so thank goodness that he established the authority and a means for us to have that security to go to when we question, when we are searching and all of those things. Yeah. That's so good. Well, and that's kind of similar to my story a little bit. And that, you know, I shared last time that I didn't find Jesus until I was 40 years old. And, uh, you know, I'm now 50. So it's been a 10 year, but, you know, really a short journey compared to a lot of other people that have had, you know, just a lot more, many more years of God in their life. And, you know, kind of very similar to James story. 
I guess I'll back up. I, you know, I was raised in a, in a Catholic home. My mother is Catholic. My grandmother, um, Brett, my husband was raised in a Catholic home. Um, our children were all baptized Catholic. Uh, but I, I was no religion. Uh, my mom married my dad and just, you know, just that wasn't something that was a part of my upbringing. And so, you know, because of that, I had a lot of fears. I had a lot of um, doubts. I had a lot of burdens because I thought that I was the authority. And so, you know, I carried just a lot of stress because of that. And, um, you know, and so when I found Jesus at 40 and got like, okay, I know more God in my life. I ended up turning to just some non-denominational churches. Um, and really I've been on a, a quest for a home church for 10 years now. Um, and so it was kind of similar in that, you know, I went to some of the non-denominationals. I loved the bands. They had the coffee, the hot chocolate, the pop machine. Um, you know, people could just wear whatever they wanted to church. Um, and it was, it didn't, it was so weird about it and so unsettling is that I'm like you, James, like I left fired up for Jesus, but at the same time, I've had this for 10 years now, just this unsettled feeling about it. Like it, I've never found a church that is like my home and, you know, and even, you know, so that's just, you know, been kind of crazy, but I was sharing with James the story that one night after I had my come to Jesus moment on my oldest daughter's birthday. If you don't know about that story, you got to go back to episode one and you can hear that story. But, you know, here I am, I'm like, okay, I, I want to have a relationship with God and no joke. You guys, I was playing in a volleyball league and I went to go to the bathroom. I came out of the stall and this was 10 years ago. Okay. And sitting on the bathroom counter of this bathroom at the YMCA of all places was this book. And it's, it had this post-it note on it. It says free book. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, this is crazy because Jesus and the Jewish roots of, of the Eucharist. And I'm like, this book's meant for me. Like, I'm going to take this book. Like, this is too crazy that I'm having this yearning for more Jesus in my life. And then this book is sitting on the counter, beautiful, brand new. And it says free book, like basically like take me. So guys, here's what's crazy. I take this book. And I'll be honest, I never opened the book in my crazy, distracted life, working all these jobs, juggling kids, watching, you know, reruns of uh, friends on TV, whatever. Like I never opened the book. And then, you know, fast forward to, we moved to Florida several months ago and, you know, I'm just like, I told Brent, I'm like, we need to find a church. Like we're 10 years into this. Right. And, um, and so anyways, so got, you know, connected with Rebecca again and everything. Well, Rebecca ends up finding this amazing church that she's like, Dawn, I'm telling you, this is going to be a great fit for you. And so she ends up, you know, giving me the address and everything. Well, I go to the first church service and James, how crazy is this? Like, again, just how God aligns things. So James is actually driving in to go to church that day. And he's like, Dawn, I have something for you that I want to give to you after the service. I'm like, oh, okay, that's awesome. That's nice of you. So we hook up with James and Mariah after church and James goes to hand me this book. And I'm like, that book looks very familiar to me. And keep in mind, I have moved multiple times and I've told Brett, like every time we unpack, I'm like, we can't get rid of that book. He's like, you haven't even read the book. 
I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like I meant to have this book. I don't know why. I know I haven't read it. We can't get rid of the post-it note. Like there's a reason for this book. And here's the thing, you guys, like God is always like chapters ahead of us. Like he sees things in the future that we don't see. And like God, I, I do, I truly believe that like he has been guiding me towards this truth. It's been a 10 year journey, but anyway, so James gives me this book and it's the exact same book that I found on that counter 10 years ago. And so for me, and, and I, and there's, I know you've mentioned this before, Rebecca, it's one of the, uh, and I might get this wrong. Cause remember guys, I'm not as full of wisdom as these guys are, but like he has shown me signs. Like, what is that called in like when God will signal show graces? Yes, there it is. Okay. Yes. What's it called? Something graces? What? Signal graces. Signal graces. Okay. So guys, these are my signal graces. And here's what's crazy is that going to this church. Um, and now I'm part of, um, you know, the, the priest is amazing. He has a doctorate in theology. He's a canon. He's amazing. But this is when I knew that I was home when a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in there listening to him and everything that like is going on in our world. And, and here's the thing, when you're a truth seeker, like you're setting yourself up for, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Scrutiny. Okay. You're setting yourself up for scrutiny. Right. And everything that he shared was so bold, so true. alignment like what my heart is telling me and so I was like okay this this is the right this is where we are meant to be and you know and I've, I've heard stories of people that you know even with like the COVID vaccine and just different things right now like they are being told like by their own people you know that's uh running their church or whatever um I don't know I that they you know should get it to whatever and I'm like I don't know that's just seems to me doesn't go, doesn't make sense. I mean, you know, when you're using aborted fetal cell lines in a vaccine, like I just, I don't think God would want us um, ingesting something like that in our bodies. And uh, it's so anyways, that's a whole separate topic that we'll talk about at some other point. But anyway, so I am just so grateful, um, you know, for those signal graces. And again, I think that the signal graces Come and correct me if I'm wrong, when you are intentional about spending more time with God. Um, so again, we have to put in that work. But anyways, well, I want to have James um, share a little bit more and I dropped my paper. So hang on, I'm bending down. There we go. Okay. So James, we got a couple questions. I know you already touched on these, but you know, what are some misconceptions that people have today when it comes to religion? Um, and I just love for you to share just on that for just a couple minutes. Well, well, I, I've heard, I have good friends that, that say this. I've heard people say, I, I hate religion. You know, there's a video that God put out many years ago. Um, why, why I love Jesus. I hate religion or something, something like that. There's a, a priest who actually did like a, I'll say a rap video or whatever. It was a video in response to him. Just a rhyming video, which is really good. Um, but, uh, you know, it, I think that probably got a lot of people, and it got me at the time, you know, because it was back in the time when I wasn't you know, going to church. I was like, yeah, religion is bad. And, you know, all these things about religion are bad. Like, it, it, they don't know what they're saying. And the thing is, it, it's, it shows a poor theology. It's, 
uh, very shallow theology uh, because people uh, they they think that Jesus came to abolish religion. He didn't. He didn't come to abolish religion. He came to fulfill it. He came to fulfill to fulfill it. And, and if people really knew what he was doing at the Last Supper, like some people would think, oh, it's just a Last Supper. Well, it wasn't just a Last Supper because it was his Last Supper he ate here on earth. It was it was literally the Jewish Passover meal. It was the, the Jewish liturgy. The liturgy. The Jewish Passover liturgy that he was performing to the last second of his death. The, it involved four cups. I'm not going to go into all you know the different cups and what he drank and what you know what what you do with each cup. Is a, you can look that up. Uh, but the last fourth cup he drank when they dipped the you know the hyssop branch and put the you know the wine and put it up to his mouth and he said, "I thirst." Gave it to him. That's the the last cup, the fourth cup that he drank, and he said, "It is finished." What is it? A lot of people say, "Oh, it, it is finished." It it means you know. His work here on earth is finished. No, he's saying it is finished. It, the Jewish Passover liturgy. You know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, why we call him the sacrificial lamb, why we call him the lamb of God. Well, it's because, not because I had someone say it the other day, mutual friend of ours just said that, you know, it's because he, I think he said he was, he was gentle and perfect, whatever. No, he was called the lamb of God because in the Jewish Passover liturgy, the Jewish Passover meal, they sacrificed the lamb. And what did they have to do with that lamb? They had to eat the lamb. If they didn't eat the lamb, you look back in Exodus, the firstborn would be dead. That they had to eat the lamb for the meal to be perfected. They couldn't just sacrifice it and leave it there. So a lot of people don't realize, like, Jesus performed a religious ceremony, a Jewish liturgy, to the last second of his death. That sounds very strange. You know, to people who think religion is bad and Jesus came to abolish religion, it doesn't make any sense. Why, if he did, then why did he do that to the last second of his death? You know, so anyway, so that that's that's uh, one of the things in the misconceptions of religion. And the other thing is there's just a lot of mis misunderstandings. People here, you know, they're told lies either intentionally or unintentionally because they're just parroted from other people, just repeated all the whole life and what mom and dad said grandma and grandpa said and pastor billy said whatever like i heard this about the church i heard this about the, you know the, and it's not just catholic church let's say religion period so they look at any formed church like methodist anglican presbyterian like lutheran they, they look at it that's religion no like no we're not going to call ourselves anything we're just non-denominational well they're all protestant all of them and they 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 but they want to separate themselves and say we don't have any formed religion we're just doing our own thing just talking about the bible and that, and that, you know, i think it. that's so important too james because one of the misconceptions is i you know people go to church for what they get out of it right <laughs> or you'll hear people say like i'm not, i don't want to go there anymore because i don't get anything out of it or the music is bad or the homilies are bad or, or whatnot but the purpose so james's reference to the last supper at the last supper jesus says you know he takes the the bread and the wine and he says this is my body and he takes the wine and he says this is my blood and then he says do this in remembrance of me so what was going on there he gathered the 12 apostles right his inner circle 
that's the first ordination of priests. He's teaching them. This is what I want you to do. This is how you're going to go out and bring souls to, to me. This is how you're going to cultivate intimacy with me. He literally gives us himself so that we can be one with him. And there's just no, there's no greater gift. So that last supper is not just a supper. Like James said, it's something that we do every single day. There is a Catholic mass prayed in cities and in countries all over the world every single day. And what is that mass? What is the Catholic mass? It is that sacrifice. Again, that offering of Jesus back to the father. There's a prayer that we pray and it's, a, it's been a, like that for 2000 years. So yeah. So since Christ, the, time of the reformation, I, and even, even the reformers, so to speak, they did the same thing when they started their own churches. But it's not the same because right. they, they left the sheepfold, uh, you know, they left the church, which has the true mass. And so, um, the, the prayer that I was going to reference is this eternal father, I offer thee the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. So why do we go to mass? Why do we go to church? Why do we love the religion that we are a part of? It's because we're participating in the greatest act of offering to the father, his son, what greater gift, if we want intimacy with the father, with God, what greater gift could we ever offer the father than his own son back to him every single time we go to mass and then we consume the sacrifice. So we receive Jesus himself, body, blood, soul, and divinity, because he said he will remain with us until the end. And so that's so important. And I think a huge misconception, we don't go to church to get stuff out of it just for ourselves. We get a lot out of it. However, we go to make a proper offering back to the father and Don, that's why I directed you to that specific church yep. that is in your area. Yeah. Well, and I think too, it just kind of goes back to people don't know what they don't know. And I know James and I had a conversation about that the other day, and I was one of those people. Like, I didn't know. Like, I, I had no idea what the one true church was. And, you know, and that's the thing. It's like, you might be listening to this, and this may be all new information that you've never been taught. You know, I mean, when I think about just the credibility of the two people that are on here tonight. Um, you know, I'm just so grateful for what I like to call God logic. You know, it's the purposeful placement of people in our lives. And I have no doubt that God, you know, strategically and purposely put you two in my life because I have been on this journey to, to, to reach the truth. And there's so much distraction and you know, as I learn more and more about Satan, which I'll talk about that in a minute, that's the thing, like Satan is here to destroy things, to cause confusion. And I love what you said earlier, James, like God is the God of unity. And when you look at all of the confusion in the church today, you can that Satan is, is, you know, in our world and just creating a lot of confusion for people. So 
Um, awesome. All right. Well, one last question for James, and then um, I'm just going to say a couple things and let Rebecca have some closing thoughts as well, and then she'll close us out in prayer. But, you know, James, so I just think it's so um, just humble and brave of you to just share your heart about how you were willing to be wrong, you know, and how you have since, you know, have found a natural truth. thing for a man. I, I can't, and especially being a lawyer, I'm sure that was even harder. So I have the utmost respect for you with that. But, uh, you know, so obviously making a big change as you found the truth, I'm sure that came with a lot of objections from people. Um, and so what has been, you know, one of the biggest objections that you've had to deal with um, as you've made this, you know, crossover to the true church? So I've received a lot of objections of lost friends. Um, you know, I've had people tell me they think I'm going to hell. They believe I'm going to hell. I mean, like from the whole spectrum, some people want to understand. Some people want nothing to do with me, you know. So the whole thing, <clears throat> there, there's a lot of common objections, you know, and it's just, there are objections because it's, it's, it's just ignorance. And I don't mean ignorance like, oh, these people are ignorant, they're, they're idiot, they're dumb, or whatever, like, it's, ignorance is just lacking knowledge on something, so it's, there was just a, a lot of ignorance, just because people are lacking knowledge on some of these things that they're saying, or they're reading something in scripture, and they're reading it out of context, they don't have full context, they don't really know what it means, they don't know what it means in relation to other parts of scripture, and so there are things, you know, things about, people say Catholics worship Mary, no, Catholics do not worship Mary, they say we worship statues, no, we don't, they say, oh, call no man father. Well, we call call priest father, whoever, so-and-so. No, like, that's not, like, you go read it. I could talk on that if we had time, but, like, no, that's not. <laughs> like, yeah, it says call no one on earth father. So I guess I can't call my dad father anymore, you know. So it also says don't call anybody teacher or rabbi or master or anything like that. But, like, what do you call someone with a master in arts or a master of ceremony? There's just, like, call no one teacher. Okay, well how many don like how many teachers do you know so but i think that this is the biggest thing that definitely as of recently i don't know what's going on i don't know if this is something that goes on in the in the protestant uh church and this is what's being taught so there are two main doctrines in the protestant church that are taught the sola scriptura which means we already touched on that all we need is scripture and the Holy Spirit, and that's it. We don't need any authority. We don't need anything else, anything, no tradition, nothing outside of scripture. The sola scriptura, sola fide, faith alone. So that, that's the doctrine. That's, that's the belief that all you need to do is believe. Again, like most people take it as an intellectual assent. I just have to mentally assent to the fact that Jesus is my Savior. I have to say that I believe and I am. That is it. I'm going to heaven. That's it. There's, there's, doesn't matter what else I do in my life. I'm going to heaven because, again, they also believe a lot. Once saved, always saved. That's it. You're saved as soon as you say you believe, and and then you're always saved. You can do whatever you want. You know, <clears throat> again, logically, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But um, so the biggest objection as of lately, five different people in the last week and a half have said this to me. So it must be something. And, and they're, they're not, they don't go to the same church. So it's got to be something that's being taught in the like Protestant circles. And people say, well, hey, they challenge and say, you believe, your church believes that baptism is necessary for salvation. It's a necessity for salvation. You know, and that we have tons of scripture to back it up. 
And that's what the churches believe. That's what the apostles believe. That's what everybody believed from, you know, you know, soon as soon as the new covenant started. So they say, they, they, they look at the good seed, you know, and they say, oh, well, how do you explain this? The good seed, he said, hey, remember me, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, right? So they say, look, they point to that and say, he just, he just believed. And so Jesus said, today, you know, I will see you in paradise. He saved him. Like he saved him. And I say, I 100% agree. That guy believed. He said he, he believed. He said, remember when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus saved him. I 100% agree with you. I disagree with you on your interpretation of that and, and, and uh, how that how you think that applies to you know faith alone. So if you look, if you look at, if you really look at it, so when when did you have to say, well, first of all, the church, the Catholic Church, believes that necessity of baptism was a new covenant, not an old covenant, new covenant necessity for salvation. We don't say that. The church doesn't say that it was an old covenant necessity. It's a new covenant necessity. So then we got to say, and they'll agree with me. They'll say, okay, yeah, we, yeah, we agree. we know that. Yeah, okay. So, well, when, well, when did, uh, when was he saved? Was this guy saved in the new covenant or the old covenant? You know, they never think about that. They don't get that far. It's, it stops with the verse and they, it, they don't go any further. And they say, okay, well, you know, when did, you know, when did Jesus institute, when did he create the new covenant or new testament is what it is, new testament, new covenant? Depending on what translation of the Bible you're looking at, some say testament, some say covenant. When you do it, the upper room. I think we all agree on that. He says, "This is the covenant of my blood. This is my blood of the new covenant." You know, that's the new covenant. That's it. But, but did it go into effect there? No, it didn't. Uh, how do we know? Because if you look in Hebrews again, look in the scripture, Hebrews nine sixteen through seventeen it says, "Where there is a will, a testament, the death of the testator must be established." For a will takes effect only at death. It has no force while the testator is alive. So when did the new covenant start? When it took effect when Jesus died. When did he save the good thief? Well, clearly he was still alive when he saved him because he was talking to him. So it was he was saved in the old covenant. So he doesn't even apply the, to the whole sola fide, the belief alone um, example that they want to use him for. And then not only that, you, so that ends it right there. You take, you take a step further and say, well, how do you know he wasn't baptized? And they say, well, it doesn't say, well, it doesn't say he wasn't. Yeah, you use the scripture line, it doesn't say he wasn't baptized. Not only that, he knew Jesus was going to his kingdom, right? He says it. Remember when he was going to go to the king? Who were the only people, if you're using all the scripture, you have to believe that he was a disciple because the only people Jesus revealed that to were his disciples. You can't say, well, someone else was told. No, 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 you can't say that. It's not in Scripture. You can't, you can't use it. You can't assume something outside of Scripture. He only told his disciples he was, he was going there when he died. So this guy must have been a disciple at some point in time, fallen away disciple. You know, and that's how he, he, he knew. He knew Jesus had done nothing wrong. He said that to the other thief. He knew he was God. He said that to the other thief. You know, people just say, oh, no, he, just, he met him on the cross. And, you know, he, you know, he knew all these things. Well, you don't know. So if he was a disciple, what is the likelihood that he was baptized at some point? Pretty high likelihood. So he may have been baptized anyway. So even if the old covenant and new covenant thing didn't take place, he very well may have been baptized too. 
but people admit they don't it's they stop the logic stops with the birth luck it says he believed and he was saved they don't go any further and it's i had five people in the last week and a half ask me that and challenge me and then when i tell them that it's like they're they probably use that objection their entire christian life mm. and now it's just poked a big hole in it and i think it's just causing them to really think like man my pastor used that he's an example my pastor doesn't even know this doesn't even make any sense <laughs> that's so crazy well james it has been so fun having you on here and man you are just so wise and i love your passion and uh, we're just so grateful that you were on here tonight. And you guys, again, that's the whole thing behind this too, is that we want to help you know, we want to help you learn and, and be exposed to the truth. And so Rebecca and I, we are very diligent and um, critical, maybe that's a good word, of who we are inviting on this this podcast, because we want to expose you to the truth and ultimately, you know, just help you have more peace because when you are confused and you are, you know, not in the truth that lends itself to maybe being fearful, maybe being, you know, worried or scared. And so that's our hearts is that we're going to keep feeding you guys the truth through amazing people that are on our show and just helping you guys have a lot more calmness and clarity um, just about everything going on. So I'm really excited. We've got so many great topics planned out, but we have decided that for our next episode, and I have to be honest, this is one that I didn't know the truth about until probably in the last year or two. I um, have done some ladies book clubs over the where when we read a faith-based book and it was in one of those meetings when satan was brought up and i was like what like this is he's real i'm like wait a minute i thought there's just god like i didn't know that satan was like a real like breathing down your neck kind of person you know trying to cause havoc in your life and um and so Rebecca and I, man, we are just really excited um, just to expose the truth about Satan because he is real and he does want to destroy things and he will tweak things in our lives just a little bit sometimes to where it creates that confusion. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Rebecca and maybe Rebecca, you know, just kind of wrap up some final thoughts and maybe touch on um, even just our topic for next time. And then I uh, just want to remind you guys, again, you can go to protectyourpeace.live or live. There you go. Protectyourpeace.live. It's spelled the same. Live or live. Protectyourpeace.live or live. Um, and that's where our podcasts are. And then we'll continue to build our website. And then again, you can find us on YouTube under the same name. Um, and again, the first and the 15th. So that next episode um, will drop on what's today on the first of next month that's yes because this one's going to drop on the 15th yes okay so rebecca i'm turning it over to you can i say one quick thing oh yes the, you mentioned the devil just has to tweak something just a little bit yes so you know this was shared with me a long time ago you know the perfect number you know seven you know even like look at slot machines look the seven 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 you know the old slot machines you know that's jackpot whatever well what is the devil's number six 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 all he has to do is get you close enough to the truth without getting you the full truth, you know? And if he just gets you close enough without giving you the full truth, then he wins. Mm. He doesn't have to get you completely turned away. He just has to keep you from having the full truth. 
And so, that's what, that is what his goal is. Mm-hmm. That's so good, James. It absolutely is. And, you know, he, he is nonstop prowling around like a lion. And that's why we have to be so vigilant. Why we have to be rooted in prayer, why we have to be seeking the truth and asking the questions. And, um, you know, one of his tactics is that, like you're saying, taking something that's good, something that God created, something given by God, and he distorts it. And, uh, he also attacks the, you know, he goes, he, what he wants is for us to be lukewarm, right? For us to be complacent. But those very things that bring us to Christ, that bring us uh, the truth, that bring us peace, that is what he hates. He, he, this battle is for our souls. And the reality is, is every single one of us is going to leave this earth. And at that very point, the way we lived our lives, the way we saw what we've done to be with him, to become more like him. We have our life in this time to do that. And would we would be so disappointed had we not done it, coming come to those final hours of our lives. Let us never look back on our lives and regret wasting time or opportunities or even being stuck in stubborn pride and not being willing to consider other things and chew on 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 truths or realities or questions it's good to question it's not bad to question it's great to ask that's why i love you know you've heard don and james both talk about how much they've questioned which is why they're such powerful truth speakers and you know I'd like to throw this out there as I close, because um, it is a reality right now. Something that I could see a lot of our listeners asking is, well, you know, what about the Catholic Church? It seems like right now there's a lot of discrepancy in what's been being said from the Pope uh, compared to what the church has taught for for so many years. And, you know, the church in her wisdom, had her, her she, her job is to keep us on track and on the truth. And whenever society or culture veers one way or another, she will form a council in order to just bring us right back on track. And thanks be to God that he gave us the church to do that, to be guided, to be our authority when an ideology so an idea that is a, a off of the, you know, it's a little off uh, that the church will form a council to clarify a statement of truth. And uh, she's always done that. Now, what I would like to mention is because the church is under attack, there, uh, how to say this tactfully, <laughs> So for those of you who have never heard of Freemasonry, I think most of you have heard of Freemasonry, right? So the Freemasons is is a secret society and their purpose is to destroy the church. They are, they worship Satan. So their God is the devil and they hide under the auspices of charity and, you know, hospitals and nursing homes and, and things of those nature. But there are 33 degrees in Freemasonry, where you climb a ladder and you, as you advance up that ladder, you learn more about their mission. And you also take oaths and uh, practice witchcraft and certain 
um, exercises. And I know this, you know, this may sound crazy to you because we all know the Freemasons and we see lodges all over and we see their names on charities. But the reality is, is that their mission is to uh, establish power through a one world, one, through a, a one world order and to bring about a new order, a novus ordo. And in that, they know that their biggest enemy is the church. And they have, you know, they have persecuted her for years and consequently made a lot of saints because they've martyred a lot of them. But then they intentionally decided for us to dismantle the church, we need to infiltrate her and take her apart from within. And so in their evil designs, they intentionally entered seminaries and climbed the hierarchy as priests. So why do you hear now about all of these sex scandals and financial bank scandals, mafia involvement, all of these things? No wonder people say, oh, the Catholic church, you know, it's so corrupt. Yes, we're full of sinners, but we are also infiltrated because Satan will attack the true church. And so um, over, over the years, and James mentioned Pope Leo XIII. Well, Pope Leo XIII was given a vision by God, and he saw what was going to happen. He saw the evil that was going to enter into the church. And so he immediately sat down and he wrote spiritual warfare prayers, especially to be used by priests, but that we can use as well to protect us from evil. And he also wrote the prayer to St. Michael because um, it's his job. He's the leader of, of the angels to protect us from Satan. And so uh, Pope Leo XIII wrote those prayers knowing the battle that we were going to be engaging in with Satan, the smoke of Satan entering the church. Those are the words of Pope Paul VI. Uh, after Pope Leo XIII, Pope Pius X spent his papacy trying to get out the information about the Freemasons and about the threat of modernism. So right now we live in a culture of modernism. We live in a society permeated by this ideology. Modernism is the synthesis of all heresies. Think of that. A heresy is a lie. It is, it is the opposite of truth in the realm of the most important things. And right now, modernism, the synthesis of all lies has permeated every level of society, politics, education, the entertainment industry. And so that's what we are all, if you will, marinating in, in this synthesis of lies, which is why we have got to be so diligent and relentless about the truth. Now, what happened and what is continuing to happen is as those uh, men with evil designs to, to establish a new world order climbed the hierarchy, about 60 years ago, they reached the top. So from priests, they became bishops, and from bishops, they became cardinals, and now even in the papacy itself. And I listened to this beautiful, profound statement put out by Archbishop Carlo Mario Vigano. And we'll actually, we'll put the link to that in, in the comment section on the YouTube. And I don't know if we can put it on our website too, but we'll get you guys access to <clears throat> um, this document that he wrote 
clarifying all of these realities. Now he's an archbishop. He um, He's also the bishop who wrote the letter that revealed all of the Mac Cardinal McCarrick uh, debacle with all of the, the sex scandals in the church. He was the whistleblower for that. And so he is such a truth speaker. And he gave such an outstanding description of what's happening in the church. Because when the Freemasons entered the top of the hierarchy, they, they um, instituted a council. But this council was like on any other council that had ever been in the Catholic church. It was an ecumenical council. And with that, they changed many things about the mass. They changed the disposition of the church and the, her relationship with the world. In a sense, they made a friendship with the world, which uh, we have just read in scripture is not God's intention. He wants us to be apart from the world. And uh, from there have, you know, continued to carry out their designs. But there has been so much uh, bad fruit that has come from that point forward. So what is going on in the Catholic Church? The truth is, is that evil is at work. The, but, but Jesus told us in scripture, the gates of hell will not prevail against her. He promised us that we have nothing to fear. We are safe under her mantle, but mind you, we must be wise as serpents to be, to make, to remain under her true mantle. And the way Archbishop Vigano, his excellency described it is that it's as an eclipse when there's the sun and the moon comes, it creates a form of darkness. The true church is the true church and the gates of hell will never prevail against her. But, and she is still there, but as the moon comes, it creates a form of a shadow. And so even in that, uh, we are responsible and we have to be stewards ourselves to be seeking this truth, which uh, is exactly why Our Lady, when she appeared in Fatima to three shepherd children in 1917, she gave us the, the weapon of the rosary. And she gave us the rosary and told us to pray it every single day because she knew the the depths of the spiritual battle. And I, you know, I think everybody would agree right now, I, you'd have to be living under a rock to not feel the tension rising, right? The, you know, over the last couple of years, things are getting so chaotic. We see so much violence in our country, so much hatred, so much, you know, um, destruction of properties and, and vandalisms and um, random acts of violence. What is that? That is evil at work. And the very uh, weapon that we use to combat that is the prayer of the mass and the Holy Rosary and many, many other weapons and, and resources that we have. But the two most powerful is the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass and the Rosary. And so I just want to acknowledge and bring to light that reality that's going on in the church, because I bet there's a lot of questions like what is going on in the church? Why is the Pope saying what he's saying? You know, 
if you're saying the church is true, then why is there all this sin going on? And that's why, uh, first of all, a lot of those people committing those sins were already living that lifestyle before they infiltrated it. But, and there's a lot more, we're going to dive into these realities in the upcoming podcast in the infiltration and permeation of uh, Satanism in uh, politics, in education system, in our country, in, and next week we'll be diving into what that looks like in the entertainment industry, because we're exposed to entertainment all the time. Our children are exposed to entertainment all the time. And if we are not protecting them and ourselves, then we can become victims. And that's the last thing that we want. And so this can be a stark, hard reality to swallow, but woe to us if we're ignorant and not protected. This gives us the ability to be guard, to guard ourselves with the gifts of our faith, with the gifts and tools that God has given us. And um, that's just exactly why we've started Protect Our Peace, so we can stick together and continue this ascent together towards heaven. So with that, can I'm going to go ahead and close this out. For your listeners? Oh, please, James, yes. You mentioned, you mentioned Fatima, and I know, like, Dawn didn't even know about it until recently. Like, a lot of people don't know, like, the, you said Our Lady of Fatima. There's a Marian apparition. Apparitions are where, you know, uh, people have visions, see uh, a Marian apparition, see Mary. Um, and a lot of people would be like, oh, that's weird. That's crazy. Like, how can you trust a couple people? Well, the Fatima apparition occurred multiple times. On the 13th of six you know months in a row or, or one of the months uh, the the seers the people who could see her were held up and that she appeared two days later on that month but it was the largest public miracle october 13th 1917 largest public miracle um outside of the parting of the red sea um 70 over 70,000 people witnessed it so that's a lot of people. So to deny that, you'd have to say 70,000 people, you know, who witnessed it are liars, including, including atheists, Protestants, Catholics, you know, people of other religions who went to see it to disprove it and say this is a, like a bunch of bull. Uh, they saw it and, you know, even atheist journalists who wanted to prove it wrong, they witnessed it themselves. So it's an amazing miracle. Yes. And, and you know why Mary, that's a whole nother topic in, in itself too, but to, to give her the credibility that's due to her, Jesus could have come to us in any way he wanted. He's God. He chose her. He chose to come to us through her and all she wants to do is lead us back to him. So she points us right back to him and, and she has appeared throughout history many times to different people in order to deliver a message for us to lead us back to Jesus and to bring us home to heaven. She wants us united with Christ in heaven forever. And therefore, God permits her at times to bring us messages that are so vitally important. And therefore, we should heed those messages, know those messages and and uh, follow them. And so Fatima is one of the most uh, significant and 
more recent ones. There are many others, especially recently. It's interesting because as time has progressed in salvation history, she has been appearing more and more because we are nearing those end times. We Time is short and she's pleading for souls. And um, and for that, we, we can be so, so grateful because like a good mother, she wants to bring us back to her son and to help us and to save us. So uh, with that, let's bring all of this back to God and uh, and ask for his grace to lead us in this next couple weeks. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us place ourselves in the presence of God. Jesus, you are God. Jesus, you are here. You see us. You hear us. You know all of the anxieties and fears of our hearts. You know the crosses we carry. You know the burdens that we bear. We offer everything to you, Lord. Our hearts, our intellects, and our wills. More than anything, we want to do your holy will. We know that your purpose and plan and will for us is what is best for us. And therefore, we set aside our pride. We set aside all of those beams in our eyes that maybe prevent us from seeing the truth. We want to give those to you. Please send your Holy Spirit to enlighten us to lead us to the fullness of truth, to guide us throughout our daily lives, to fulfill the purpose for which you created us. Help us to live each day with more intention of not only seeking the truth, but in speaking to you throughout the day and in asking what your will is, in looking for your guidance so that we may follow you. We ask all of this through your holy name as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Amen. Awesome. Well, thank you guys again for just being on here. Thank you for that beautiful prayer, Rebecca. And uh, we cannot wait to see you guys here in a couple of weeks and, and make sure you tell your friends, tell your family about protectyourpeace.live. And uh, we hope that they will join us next time too. Thank you guys so much. Have a great Don't night. For having me. Yes. God thank bless. You. God bless. Thank you so much for joining the Protect Your Peace podcast, where we are so honored to glorify God by bringing the truth to light. We would love your help growing our ministry, so please visit our website at protectyourpeace.live and share this with family and friends. God bless everyone.